I say that to say no two cycles might be the same, but the point is to just have a playbook, right, for each different cycle or different thing that's going to come up in real estate. I think that's just the journey of a real estate investor, investment manager, which, you know, if you own real estate and it's yours, you manage the real estate, right? So you're essentially the asset manager or investment manager for your portfolio. So as investors, our job is to really just be fluid, right? The market is going to be the market. Things are going to happen. But if you want to do deals, you have to be able to adapt. Welcome to the Income Flip Podcast, a podcast about real estate entrepreneurs, visionaries, and the stories behind the legacies they're creating. I'm your host, Rob Chavez. And on today's episode, I've got Yannick Cujo Virgil with me. Now, Yannick started in the NFL and has now transitioned those skills, that grit, that hard work into buying multifamily and commercial real estate. And what I love about his story is he helps his former athletes be able to invest in real estate because he realizes that their income at some point, and they realize their income at some point is just going to dry up and they need to invest in real estate to create passive income and wealth in the process. Not just athletes, but it's everyday people that want to learn how to do this so that they can flip their income from active income to passive income. So listen up to Yannick's story because I know you're going to learn something through his journey, how he did it, and what he's building next. Gridiverse. What is going on, Gridiverse? Hey, today I have Yannick Cujo Virgil with me. Um, I'm, I'm excited to, to unpack his story. I was getting to know him a little bit prior to jumping on. And, uh, and we, we share Virgil. We, we, I mean, Yannick, I want to say Virgil, right? Yannick, we shared some friends in common. I, I saw Jason Subafield is on there, right? John Rubino. I don't know if you know John well. I just yep. went on LinkedIn, right? And so I was looking at your background. I'm like, man, I'm fascinated. I can't wait to kind of peel back the onion, put you in the hot seat and, and learn more about your story. So thank you for joining me today. I appreciate it. No, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the show. Sure thing, man. Um, so let's start at the beginning, right? Uh, I saw that you were an uh, NFL professional football player with Tennessee yep. Titans. Okay, yep. let's let's start there, right? That that's interesting, right? To me, especially somebody with your background that then moves into real estate. Uh, I'd love to understand kind of like what that journey looked like. But um, tell me, tell me a little bit about your career. Where, where did you, uh, where'd you play in college? And uh, how did you end up at Tennessee Titans? And then how did you decide to, to get in the real estate after all that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I uh, grew up in Baltimore City. Uh, I'm originally from Trinidad, came to this country with a bag of clothes and, uh, you know, made it happen, right? I used to sleep on the floors in like a three bedroom, one bathroom apartment with like 10 people total in there. So um, you know, when it comes to overcoming obstacles, that has uh, pretty much been at every stage of my life, right? So uh, background is grew up in Baltimore City, went to the University of Maryland, played football there, walked on at the University of Maryland, earned a scholarship within a semester, got an opportunity to play for the Tennessee Titans, which was an ultimate dream of mine's. Um, you know, the top 1% makes it to the NFL, right? Mm -hmm. So it's very, very challenging to do so. Unfortunately, had a career-ending knee injury that uh, was very, very unfortunate, right? And I tell people this all the time, whether it's the NFL or whatever that you do, if you tell someone that tomorrow they can no longer pursue what they've been working on 
for or working at for the last 20 years, anyone would be shocked, right? So uh, for me, it was challenging at, at, at first because, you know, to have a career-ending injury is devastating. But fortunately, I latched on to websites like Bigger Pockets and books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it was very, very timely because the first month within my first offseason of the NFL, I spent $20,000 in one month and had no idea what I spent it on. Didn't account for it. It was just money coming out of the bank. And we hear mm-hmm. stories all of the time. 70% of athletes go broke within two to three years of their respective sport, at least within the NFL or the NBA context. So I knew that I did not want to be a part of that statistic. So I latched on to real estate because real estate was the only business that I've personally found to have some of the similar characteristics from a time freedom, from a cash flow freedom that was linked to the NFL. And so fortunately, I stumbled into the world of commercial real estate. And we'll talk about that uh, more in depth. But ever since then, joining you know real estate, getting into the space, absolutely love it. And we encourage professional athletes to do so as well. That's awesome, man. Let, let me let me uh, let me unpack some of that real fast, right? Uh, what kind of knee injury, first and foremost? Tore my patella tendon, one of the toughest injuries in, in sports. If you touch your knee, the little tendon in front of your knee, as you know, your audience is listening today. Uh, it's a devastating injury, but uh, you know, unfortunately, I had to end my career from that. Yeah, yeah, I, I had my ACL reconstructed when I was 16. Right, playing football. I'm a little dude. Tough right? sport. Yeah, tough, tough sport. sport. Tough sport. And then you know, I ended up wrestling in college. And by the way, you went to Mar- Maryland. I went to a American University. So, um, cool. We don't have a football team. But we wrestled you guys in college, right? You guys are always pretty tough, so loved it. <laughs> I, in fact, my uh, my assistant coach was a three-time All-American for Maryland, and I credit him to to really, right, he was the guy that helped me. You know, his name was David Land. He was the guy that helped me believe that that I could be successful, right? You got to surround yourself with top people. So I digress, but... Yeah, man, ACL, very painful to kind of redo. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it's just like you're just not the same, right, when that happens. Yeah, not the same. challenging. Okay, tell me, what, at what age did you come from Trinidad? Uh, when I was around 10 years old. Okay, what was that adjustment like? It was, it was challenging. Uh, you know, my mom dropped everything and brought, I'm the only child on her side, so... Uh, you know, she dropped everything and, and brought us to this country in search of better opportunity, a better life. You know, living in a third world country, you don't have access to hot water at times, right? So the mm-hmm. little things that, um, you know, living in America, you're, you kind of overlook. Some people would be glad to have some of the little luxuries that people have in this country. So, uh, you know, came over when, when I was 10 years old and, and ever since then have and purposeful and, and being able to create a life by design, but then also create wealth and longevity for my family. Did you um, start playing football right when you came to the U.S.? Or like, what happened there? Um, I kind of just fell in love with football from, uh, you know, when I was younger, we used to play <laughs> this game called Kill the Man with the Ball. Oh, yeah. And that's oh, just, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fitting, right, for football, right? The violence of the sport. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I played that when I was about 11, 12 years old and, and just kind of fell in love with the game. And it's really been truly a blessing ever since. Okay. And then you you went, uh, you decided that you were going to 
walk on the team. So that's a whole thing there. So you played, I assume, in high school, probably did well, but were recruited right out of high school. So, the, the, you know, this was a dream of yours. Um, tell me a little bit about that experience. Yeah. So first, uh, I was what you considered to be a late bloomer. So I had all of the talents. I just needed it to be unlocked. So I started off in Division Two on a scholarship, a partial scholarship. And, you know, quite frankly, we weren't doing well. And, you know, whenever I'm doing something, anyone that knows me, whenever I'm doing something, I'm committed to it. I need everyone on the same page. So I said, man, you know, if if, if I, I have this dream to go to the NFL and we're not winning here, but if I am going to lose, I want to be at the top tier school. Right. So I gave up my scholarship to walk on at the University of Maryland, got accepted academically and quite frankly, balled out. And within a semester, I was able to get that full scholarship and it was just up ever since. Good for you, man. That's awesome. Last question about football real fast. What year, like what, 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 where were you in like your college journey where you blew out your knee? Was it, uh, oh, not college, you blew it out in, in the NFL, right? Yeah. Blew it. My rookie okay. year. Your yep. rookie year. Your rookie year. Oh, worst. So did you go through a depression? Like what happened with that? Like I would imagine like that, like you said, you'd spent an incredible amount of time thinking and training and two a days and practice and traveling and you know now it comes to an end like it was challenging it was definitely challenging i think the mental aspect of sports is something that's coming coming to the to the to the to the uh the front now as we advance in society we you know people are able to be brave enough to talk about their feelings and how you know things in the past have affected them uh you know mental mental health in sports is real Right. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times when you're injured, you get isolated, you're in the training room, you know, coaches make the little slick remarks as they walk by. You know, there's al- there's always every seriousness in the joke. And so, you know, when you're getting paid for it, it's different. Right. Because now you're on the hot seat. So it was definitely challenging and really was just relying on faith and and doing everything that I could so that if something happened where I wasn't unable to get back on the field, I knew that I, you know, did everything I could to be back to be back on the field. So, uh, okay. it's a it's it's a challenging uh, transition for sure. Now there was a lot of things you could have transitioned into, right? Um, you probably went through some soul searching a little bit. Like, how did you stumble upon, you know, bigger pockets and rich dad, poor dad? Like you said, like how did how did that happen? Somebody put a book in your in your hand. The mentor whispered in your ear. Like, how did that come about? Good question. So I don't really remember exactly how it came about, but I knew that I was in search of something. And I think I either fell on Rich Dad, Poor Dad first or Bigger Pockets first. You know, I've been injured in my career different times in college as well. And during those times, I always try to find something that would take my mind off of it. So whether it's picking up a new skill like playing the piano or uh, trying to start a new side hustle business in college, or picking up a book like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It was just something for me to get my mind off of. But then when I stumbled into the world of real estate, I found all of the potentials and all of the, all of the abilities to create wealth and, and time freedom and generational wealth and all the things that you can have from an impact perspective when you're investing in real estate. I found that it was definitely something that was turning into a new calling for myself. And... Mm-hmm. By way of that, I met a developer in Nashville, Tennessee. At that time, he was developing offices. 
and he introduced me to the world of commercial real estate. So I would attribute those, uh, you know, timelines and things that have happened to uh, my growth pattern of getting into the, the world of real estate. Okay, so let's talk, let's talk about kind of that growth and projection uh, in real estate. So here you are, crossroads, you, you get into real estate, whether it's bigger pockets, with that poor dad, like your brain starts saying, okay, I want to do something. I need to do something different. I need to build a different skill. Um, what kind of commercial real estate was it? Particularly or specifically multifamily real estate. Because it was something that was easily translatable from the world of residential, as opposed to maybe office and mm -hmm. retail. Uh, you know, some of the things translate from residential to, to multifamily. And I just uh, read upon all of the demand factors and all of the benefits of getting into the world of multifamily, a risk-adjusted investment asset class when you get into the world of multifamily. So it was just really easy for me to understand. But I still wanted to learn real estate at a high level. And so I am always uh, on the quest to learn something new every single day. And I found that the best way to learn is by doing, but then also learning from people who you aspire to be like, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, because you kind of get the double double benefit from that. You get on one side, you get to learn from, from people directly, direct access, uh, learning from their mistakes as well. But then also you get to learn by actually doing. So you're not only sitting on the sidelines, learning at one point, but you're also in the field getting those mental reps, right? And that essentially helped me uh, jump out about a year ago to doing, you know, our full-time uh, uh, investment firm, managing and growing the company's assets. Okay. Let's, let's unpack, though, the beginning of that. What did you do specifically for this developer right when you got out of college? What were you doing for him? Yeah, for so it was, uh, so after I... After I decided out that I wanted to retire from the NFL, I started off in commercial real estate brokerage for KW Commercial, did office and retail tenant rep and also multifamily investment sales. Then from there, I moved to a couple of development shops working as an asset manager because I knew that in order to effectively execute on a business plan, that asset management part is extremely, extremely important. Right. You can acquire the deal, you can raise the money, you can close on it. But if you can't asset manage and, and effectively execute the business plan, then your investors are going to be upset. Right. So mm -hmm. um, asset management was kind of like my apprenticeship role mm -hmm. to learn about the world of commercial real estate by doing. But then also being in the rooms with people who I aspire to be like. And then I leveraged that information and that experience to jump out and 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 grow, you know, our own company's assets and, and grow our business from an so investment management perspective. So that's interesting. Yeah, so, so let's let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, you essentially decided to go and venture off on your own, right? That that that's a big decision. And and you did it relatively quickly, right? Walk me through that mental process. How did you know you were ready? Yeah. So well, I, I knew that I was ready by between closing our first deal about a year and a half ago, uh, but then also from just getting the mental reps, right? When, you, when, you, when you're actually doing something, it gives you the confidence that you can do it. The only difference is now I'm responsible for cutting those checks, right? And I'm responsible for our investors' money. Um, and I think, I think that's one of the best ways to, to go about it for anyone that's trying to learn about commercial real estate, maybe getting into the 
the space uh, if you're new um, and just trying to get for that, get that experience is, is latching on to a mentor, figuring out how can you add value to them and also try to figure out how can you maybe work for free, right? Because that experience mm-hmm. is really, really important. Um, you know, repetition is the mother of all learning. So if you're able to do things on a consistent basis and get that experience, it's only a matter of just a mental block between you doing it for someone else and you doing it on your own. So as I overcame that, that allowed me to get the confidence to jump out and and work full time as an investment manager. Well, when you jump out on your own, there's a lot of competition that's out there. And you've got to figure out where you fit in the world of all that competition. So how are you navigating that process? What is it that you're currently doing that separates you from some of the other investment managers out there? Definitely. So I think, you know, from from what we do, first we lead with authenticity, right? Because people are generally going to be around folks who they like, know, and trust, right? And that trust part is extremely, extremely important. But I think as you just be authentic about yourself, you attract the people who you want to attract. Uh, The second thing is we rely on data-driven investment strategies. So we're not just listening to any little clipping that comes online or or comes across our desk, right? You know, our team is experienced, done deals before. Uh, We have the track record and we're able to execute on those acquisitions. Um, I think between those two uh, attributes, but then also the communication standpoint, is extremely, extremely important. You know, when someone invests with you, the first and foremost thing that they want to know is that their capital, their principal is protected, right? And mm-hmm. so I think part of that, and as you build the trust process, is the communication aspect because sometimes deals don't go according to plan, right? But, um, you know, uh, bad news doesn't age well, right? So if you're able to communicate effectively and communicate on time and be transparent, people are generally going to be receptive of that and, you know, at the end of the day, you want your investors to be happy because they are the lifeblood of your business, especially when you're trying to uh, grow your firm and your investment management assets. So that's what separates us as a firm. Where are you focusing your uh, asset purchases right now? What areas? Primarily in Baltimore City. We've been exploring other markets. We love Baltimore mm-hmm. City because of the fundamentals, right? Mm-hmm. When you get into real estate, what's the first thing that they tell you, right? Look for the ugly house on the best block. Mm-hmm. Well, if you look at Baltimore City, Baltimore City as it relates to the northeast coast of, of, of the country, right? It's essentially the last major city on the east coast to be redeveloped. And mm-hmm. um, fundamentals basically tells you to look at Baltimore City, right? But so many people get caught up in maybe some of the emotions and some of the red tape that goes uh, in line with investing in Baltimore City. But we see opportunity and we really love it because the economy is strong. You have the feds, government jobs, eds, educational jobs and health jobs as well. That really um, protects against the economy when it comes to a recession. Right. You want to invest in some of those recession resistant uh, jobs. And I think Baltimore City is really on the cusp of redevelopment. It just it's just a matter of time, right? And we want to be in the market as early as possible so we can reap the most amount of returns for our investors. Well, my experience dictates uh, that you've got to know your market better than your competition, right? So it's good that you, that's your backyard, that's where you're spending time, right? Um, probably have a big network that you've developed there through the years. Uh, and And I've always said, 
if you go into Baltimore, right, Baltimore City, you you need a Sherpa, you need a guide because there's landmines there if you don't know those landmines, right? Absolutely. Um, and so what are some of the things that you you realized as you, you kept, you know, now that you're doing this and you're like in the trenches, some mistakes that you see other investors making when they enter into that market, right? Um, yeah. Because I've seen I've seen my my fair share of people that have gone into Baltimore, and then they 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 walk out of Baltimore limping and wounded, um, and they're like, "I'm never going to go back in." Um, and I always wonder my myself, like, you know, I know there's people that are crushing it in Baltimore, right? So, yeah. what did they do wrong? Yeah, I think um, I think that there's a lot of things that people can fall into that may be traps within Baltimore City. First, the block-by-block nature that you mentioned, right? One block might be a good block. The next block might not be the best block. So you definitely want to make sure that you're on the best block, right? Or in the best market within within Baltimore City. That's the first thing. The second thing is just understanding the red tape and the rules that uh, govern Baltimore City and some of the politics that are in Baltimore City, right? Uh, it can be very challenging to, for example, get evictions completed, right? Um, you know, there's also potential crime in certain neighborhoods, right? All all of the things that, you know, some some other markets might have. But I think, you know, what what gets people in trouble when they invest in Baltimore is they automatically think, hey, this property is worth maybe $5,000. Let me go buy it and it's going to be a good investment, Right. Well, the problem is that that property probably was built in 1920s and has a ton of uh, deferred maintenance and issues with it. And if, it, if you think you're going to just slap on five to $10,000 in rehab and call it a day, you're going into a mess. And so uh, what I tell people who are interested in getting into Baltimore is just first figure out exactly where you want to invest, right? Where are the good areas, so to speak, right? Um, where are the areas that have less crime, right? understand the red tape within Baltimore, understand how to go through permits and how to deal with inspections and how to deal with uh, some of the property management issues. Definitely make sure that your property manager understands Baltimore and is able to navigate through Baltimore. And then the third thing, don't just think that you can buy a property for $5,000 and it's just going to be a good investment, right? You have to really go behind the curtains and look behind and do your due diligence and get your inspections and know exactly what you're getting into uh, because you can lose your shirt, lose your money if you think that uh, something is going to cost $5,000 to repair and it ends up costing 50000 right? So I think, you know, what yeah. I'm trying to convey is that go in eyes wide open because you might miss something underneath the curtain. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about that, right? As you're saying that, there's probably a lot of people going, wow, that's a lot of work. I don't want to do that. I'd rather... Find a guide, a Sherpa, I believe in that market, enter you, enter Yannick, right? Like you've already done that homework. You've already done that research. I'm curious, what's your buy box? Like, what do you look for uh, in the Baltimore market? Because you're not buying little row houses at this stage. You're, you're, you're playing the multifamily game. So what are, yeah. what are you looking for? So our buy box essentially is between 20 to 150 units. Ideally, we would like garden style, workforce housing, apartments. Uh, we believe that workforce housing is an extremely demanding product across the country, not just Baltimore City. And, um, you know, we're looking for cash flow. We understand that Baltimore City has historically been a cash flow market. 
If you're looking for appreciation, that's probably not what you want to look for in Baltimore City. Maybe a DC might be a better market for that. But all of our investors are more so cash flow focused. So if we can find an asset that is, you know, 20 to 150 units, affordable housing because of the demand, we can keep our apartments uh, full and it cash flows very well, then that's a good solid investment for us and our investors. And we're going to hold that property within a three to seven year hold period. Okay. And yeah, so tell me a little bit about what your plan looks like, right? What kind of return are your investors getting? What kind of internal rate of return are you guys shooting for? What's the exit plan? Are you are you doing cash out refi and getting the partners out? Are you selling the assets? Like I'm curious to to the model yep. itself. Yep. So our, you know, at a at a base level, our goal is to double our investors' capital in five years or less, right? Mm-hmm. That's essentially what we try to do. If we can do it within three years, that's perfect. If we can do it in, in five years, then that's great. Um, you know, generally from a cash on cash return perspective, it, it really varies because interest rates in today's environment, they have a lot to do with cash flow, right? Uh, sellers today are, are starting to budge a little bit on pricing and cash flow proceeds are, are still relatively um, tight, right? Interest rates have gone up significantly within the past year. So I would say, you know, somewhere between the seven to nine uh, percent range is what our average cash on cash return would be throughout the whole period. And then once we sell the property, that number should average about 20 percent per year. Right. So that's essentially what we try to do for our investors. And our main goal, our main goal is to provide them with risk adjusted assets. Right. As opposed to the stock market where you, you might put your money in and there's volatility you know, you're buying a hard asset that reaps cash flow and also the tax benefits as well, which really is one of the best reasons of owning real estate is depreciation. Being able to uh, cut down on your um, your other income, depending on your tax bracket and your situation. Our investors really love the depreciation from a, 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 a time value of money perspective, right? They get their money back through, you know, offsetting their taxes and they just kick the can down the road. That's really how wealth is generated, right? When we talk about strategies like the 1031 exchange, um, all of all of the wealthy people in the world know how to kick the kick the can down the road on paying taxes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's essentially what we do as a company and the, the returns that we look for. Um, you started this personally about a year and a half ago. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. So I okay. I, uh, I ventured out last April. You know, we're talking in late March as we speak. You know, April 2022 was when okay. I decided to go full time. And I've been investing in real estate prior to that. You know, I started off uh, flipping houses, but I, you know, I was doing that just in the, uh, you know, in, 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 the, in the term of, of me progressing to where I am to sure. buy or just the education and the experience in the commercial space that evolved to help me evolve to jump out last year to get into the world of multifamily real estate. Yeah, there's 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 so much learning that happens, right? And it's such a great way to learn. It's like getting your MBA when you go buy a property and you start, you know, put your money where your mouth is and you go out and try to make a profit on that thing. Um, a lot has changed in the last year when it comes to interest rates. A lot has changed, right? And these commercial loans, like we had to wrote some deals that we're underwriting the deal, you know, beginning of last year, it was like, you know, interest rate 5%. And now I'm looking to, you know, do my cash out refi and it's like eight and a half percent. And like, oh. Yeah. Oh, snap. 
right? <laughs> and, exactly. and meanwhile, our parents are like, well, you know, 13% was the norm when I was growing up. And I'm just like, well, you know, you can get houses for cheap back then. You know, I don't think houses, you know, prices for homes increased the way that our generation, you know, uh, I'm a millennial. So my generation is, is, is experiencing, right? So different, different times there. Well, and so what I think this is going to do is this becomes this will be your like this this will be your phase of learning how to navigate kind of messiness in the market right so what are you doing right now as a practitioner to protect yourself protect your clients how are you thinking about all of this transition i'm sure you're thinking about this transition right um this will be my third weird messiness going into right i went through the dot-com bubble and I was in technology, like helping place people in technology. So I felt it. And I went through 2008 as a full-time agent investor. I felt that. Um, And it was pivot, pivot. And now we're entering into what we're experiencing right now. And I think we're kind of like in the beginning of that curve. And I'm curious how you think about it. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. That's a good question. So First and foremost, when I think about cycles, I think I, I ultimately understand that every cycle has uh, different onsets, right? There's always something that, that has created some some issue within the cycle that that has changed the cycle, right? So when we talk about 2008, we can say that, you know, properties were overvalued, right? Because of the, 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 the boom on debt, right? People were able to buy properties and a lot of people lost their houses, you know, they were over leveraged or um, properties weren't worth what you thought they were. So, um, you know, then then we we moved to COVID, right? And that was like, uh, you know, the issue was like COVID and people weren't paying the rents and, you know, you were having a rent collection issue and now you had to figure out how to asset management through that uh, span. Uh, now it's like a, a, a debt issue, right? Interest rates have been increasing. The Fed's trying to curb compl- uh, uh, inflation. So I think, you know, at different points within a cycle, depending on uh, what's going on? I think there's different playbooks that you have to pull out, right? Things that you have to pull out your toolkit, right? So when I look at this particular cycle, you know, I'm looking at interest rates and I'm thinking, wow, man, you know, how can we prevent against, you know, our issues on debt, right? How can we get into deals that have some sort of fixed rate debt so that we're able to ride through this uh, this cycle and maybe once the interest rate market starts to stabilize, because we can't possibly think that this is going to <laughs> increase, you know, forever and ever, right? The issue yeah. was that within the past 10 years, rates have really been relatively low for a long period of time. And that has a direct impact on asset values. So I don't, I really don't think that we're going to be at a quote unquote high 7% interest rate, you know, for the next 10 years. I think that's going to come down at, at, at some point. So right now we're focused on how can we identify cash flow and opportunities, right? Because cash flow and opportunities helps our investors or helps us get through times of turbulence. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. If there's a recession that's coming, we we have no clue, right? I don't have a crystal ball, but I know that cash flow is always uh, done well during times of uh, turbulence and, and recessions, right? So we're looking for cash flow and opportunities, not necessarily looking at appreciation on the exit. Um, and then also picking up properties at uh, at good discounts compared to what we think is actually work, worth in a stabilized market. We're hearing all of the issues that uh, there's a lot of commercial real estate debt that's coming due, that's being matured within the next 12 to 24 months. So, you know, we're working on, we're working on a deal right now, actually, that we're able to capitalize 
on a situation where the seller's got to get out of this deal and we're getting it at a good price. So now what we're able to do is get it at a good price, cash flow on the property. Once the interest rates come down to a stabilized uh, number, we can capitalize on the interest rate market, get that asset back to what we think it's going to work, uh, going to be worth. And we can deliver that 20% on average return to our investors. So I say that to say no two cycles might be the same, um, but the point is to just have a playbook, right, for each different different cycle or different thing that's going to come up in real estate. I think that's just the, the journey of a real estate investor, investment manager, which, you know, if you own real estate and it's yours, you manage the real estate, right? So you're essentially the asset manager or investment manager for your portfolio. So as investors, our job is to really just be fluid, right? The market is going to be the market. Things are going to happen. But if you want to do deals, you have to be able to adapt. Yeah, I love that. And you know, there's actually, you have an advantage having just entered in to the space of, of multifamily. Like, I, I don't want to discount all the stuff that you, that you did prior to, but the advantage is you didn't buy some of these assets four or five years ago that, is, that are now coming due, right? And if some of those asset managers weren't prudent and didn't have, don't have cash reserves, and now they're looking at what the interest rates look like. Um, you're going to have opportunity. You're going. You specifically are going to find opportunity in this market because of those of of those uh, assets that are coming due, right? Um, and so you just got to position yourself really well. I mean, I, I I had a good friend of mine that did a lot of burring, right, in the last seven years, eight years, and he did extremely well. But over the last few years, and he was just, he wasn't getting long-term debt. He was getting five-year commercial debt, right? It was all polluting. Um, and so it's all now just changed over, which has crushed his cash flow. And he's like, shoot, right? I'm in yeah. trouble, right? I'm in trouble. I didn't think I would be getting into trouble. I'm going to have to sell. I'm going to be forced to sell some assets, stabilize my portfolio. Yeah. And so as a good asset manager, um, investment advisor, you always have to be thinking kind of like 10-year, 15, 20-year increments. What happens if, right, I would imagine? What happens yep. if, right? Yep, yep, yep. You always have to have a, an, a second exit plan as an investor, right? And generally, you know, we love getting into long-term fixed rate debt. You know, if we plan to hold the, hold the property for a long time, uh, some people like to get into the floating rate uh, debt, and that has certainly caused a lot of pain within the, the commercial real estate market today. I think it's just about, you know, having the right business plan for the right property and also having those uh, exit plans and those backup plans because you just never know when things are going to happen. But generally, if you can get into deals with low long-term fixed debt without, you know, some uh, crazy amount of prepayment penalties behind that, then generally you can ride out that storm to the other side and and sell whenever the market is uh, in a better place. Got it. So one of the things that you and I talked about was your passion for helping athletes build wealth through real estate because you saw what would happen firsthand to a lot of these professional athletes, right? What are the stats? What did you tell me the stats were? Yeah, yeah. The stats, uh, well, well, I would say these are old stats, right? So okay. the stat is, you know, within within three years, 70% of NFL players go broke within two to three years of leaving their, their, their sport, right? 
But I would honestly say that in you, you've probably seen the, the 30 for 30 broke, right? You know, that's that was a uh, an old ESPN 30 for 30 film when they when they just talked about all the NFL players that were going broke and spending a lot of money. I honestly think that athletes are positioned to be huge wealth creators um, for their families for the foreseeable future. And the reason is that uh, entrepreneurship in today's world, today's athletic space has, has become the, the, the sexy aspect mm-hmm. of being an athlete, right? When we take a look at the modern day athlete, we take a look at maybe a Tom Brady or LeBron James and, and what do they have in common? They have businesses that they're investing in. They are doing well off of the field. They have brand partnerships and all the things that you're able to leverage with social media. And now athletes are getting a little bit more business oriented and business focused because they have to, uh, because of those off the field partnerships and the investments. And quite frankly, athletes want to be like athletes, right? And they follow each other. So one person pulls up in a, a BMW or a Rolls Royce, the next person probably will, right? Uh, back when I was playing in Tennessee, the entire parking lot was a was a, uh, a, a, a car show, right? So, um, you know, in the best professional athlete space, they like to do what what the next person likes to do, right? So, um, you know, I think as we continue to follow the trend of it being uh, trendy to be an entrepreneur and athletes being exposed and also having the the access to information, because that's another thing, right? Because of social media and technology, the, the, the gap is being bridged on information, right? Mm. So athletes are connecting with other athletes and, and having those discussions and partnering, et cetera. So I say that to say, I think the future is bright for professional athletes. The next stage is for us to work with each other because there's a mm. ton of power that needs to be unlocked and the potential for inv- athletes to invest with each other and also potentially impact their community through real estate as well. I love that. I see that. Like you just painted a great visual imagery for me, right? Athletes are well positioned to be able to do that. Um, you know, they they become brands and those brands carry a lot of value, especially if you understand how to monetize them through social media. And uh, and then think like a business person. You're right. Like it's it's sexy to 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 be a business person, right? It's no longer you know, the the kind of the stereotypical of when I grew up, it's like, you know, kind of like a stiff, right? That person, you know, it's, it's cool to be an entrepreneur. It's cool to be a business owner um, because there's a lot of freedom that it gives you, right? And I think that as a society, we've realized that, um, and we've been afforded, like you say, the ability to understand that we can create freedom, economic freedom, through knowledge, specialized knowledge in the world of of commercial real estate or residential real estate or whatever one you decide to go towards, lean towards. Um, exciting times. So how are you finding clients, right? Like I know you probably have a whole acquisition team that's out there, right? Looking for deals all the time. Um, but you're also getting the message out to potential business owners, potential athletes, that Baltimore City is a place to invest with the right partners. And so I'm curious, like some of the different strategies you're using to to attract. Yeah, yeah. So uh, capital raising, um, you know, and, and attracting your your client or or that capital for the 
for any investment is so, somewhat challenging, right? I think in the in the ways that we get our message out, right? Because we we like to consider ourselves to be attracting the people who we want to work with and attracting that capital, right? So um, whether it's just networking, uh, going to different events where our, our you know our target client or our, our typical client would be at, um, a lot of it has been through social media, sure. just getting your message out there, whether it's LinkedIn. Instagram, being consistent, creating a brand for your company, because people are essentially not investing in the deal. They're investing in me, right? Mm -hmm. They're investing in our company. They're investing in the fact that we can execute, that we can communicate, that we can do what we say that we can do. And they're able to get a great experience uh, because of that. And so a lot of it is just creating a brand. And that just comes over time uh, through consistency, through uh, thoughtful planning and all the things that you need to do to just show up, right? Because some people show up and they leave and then some people, you know, stick around and then they leave. But it's just showing up every single day and just delivering a message so you can attract the people that you want to attract. And that just goes in line with what I said, you know, when, when we when we first started is that, you know, that's 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 essentially just what we do. Right. We are, um, you know, we, we're big on authenticity and um, that's what we lead with, with everything that we that we put out. I love that. You know, as you as you were saying that. Kind of the secret sauce to all of it, whether you're an athlete or whether you're a business person, is is being consistent. Consistency is the superpower, right? Consistency in living your word, consistency in showing up to practice every day, consistency in not, you know, not missing uh, when you want to miss, like uh, doing it over and over and over again. And I, and you're right. There's so many people that are inconsistent. And if you're inconsistent, it's really hard to build a business, right? People see consistency and they see inconsistency. And if you're consistent, it's going to be easier for you to, to attract um, your avatar, right? The person that resonates with you based on your own unique authenticity, um, which is Absolutely. awesome. Which is why I love the fact that, you know, you're an ex-NFL athlete that is helping not only you know, athletes, but also business owners, because you're a business owner, right? Like you're a business owner, yep. you're an ex-athlete, you are attracting you, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's you know, I, I keep hitting on this word of authenticity because out there in social media, there are a lot of people who are doing, who are saying things, but they're not, they're not backing it up, right? Um, and I think it's, it's, it's difficult to figure out like who's who and, and, and doing your due diligence, which is really important in the world of social media, because anyone could put things out there and you might have this impression that, wow, this person's super successful and this person is uh, has all the bells and whistles checked. But I would encourage anyone that's interested in investing in anyone or in any deal, just do your due diligence because you just never know who you're partnering up with. But more importantly, you want to make sure that your, your capital is protected. So anytime yeah. that we uh, talk to anyone about co-investing with them or just building relationships, it's a slow process, right? Because we want to see who this person is, um, how they conduct themselves. And over time, a true character reveals itself. So uh, just taking that uh, that relationship interest uh, very, very seriously because we're deploying on investors' capital and um, just going with our, our gut and our due diligence process. Yeah. Wise words. Wise words. Well, in your career so far, right, what is, I'm curious, and maybe you haven't had one, but what has been one of your biggest learned lessons 
It's a good right? question. One, one where you're like, oh, I learned a lot in that process, right? I just got a schooled. I got my MBA. And I say, and I, the reason why I say you may not have experienced it yet is because, um, you know, you're newer to the journey, right? Um, you've got experience, you got a lot of experience, but I remember I felt like I had a lot of experience until I realized that I didn't have a lot of experience because the market completely changed. But talking to you, I, I could see that you look into the future. You've got 10 years. So you're way ahead of where I was because I was just thinking, oh, things are going to stay the same. But have you experienced anything like that so far? I guess COVID um, was a big one, right? Like COVID. Yeah, yeah. I think that was, that was, I think that was definitely a big one. You know, I'm always, I, it's always something, I always say, you know, there's always something to learn at any point of time from anyone at any given moment. So I always have the humility to to know that I'm always in learning mode, but the confidence to um, know that I can do something that I put my mind to. Mm-hmm. Um, so from from the market perspective, we're always adapting, and we're always learning, and we're always uh, trying to 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 get educated and just you know ex- expand ourselves. I would say um, one of the things that I am going through or working through is because of the professional athletes mentality of like, I can do it all by myself. <laughs> that was, that was the one thing <laughs> that for the first three to four years of my real estate journey, um, hindered me from making progress within my business. Right. right. Because I always thought that, you know, because I can do it, I should be the one doing that. When in actuality, you know, as a business owner, as the lead leader of your, your, your company, uh, you have to figure out where your time is most valued at and what role, right? And just because someone else might be, uh, might not be able to do it as good as you or as good as you think that you can do, you're probably not the best one for that role. So if, can, if they can do it just as 80% good compared to what you think that you can do, then that's okay. Then that's okay. Because you can't do everything all at once at the same time and expect to grow your company, right? So, for example, you know, I used to spend a ton of time in Home Depot picking out materials, right? Mm -hmm. That that takes a ton of time for someone who's, uh, if anyone who's in the world of real estate and and knows how how to, you know, GC a project and, and go through the entire cycle, you know, just selecting items from Home Depot takes a ton of time. Well, now we're working on outsourcing that. We're outsourcing that to a construction manager or an operations admin who's able to take some of that off our plate, right? Um, little things like just answering emails, right? Figuring out how to segment your emails so you're spending more time on tasks that can actually add value to you, right? So I think what I'm trying to convey is that, uh, you know, I've, I've had a lot of, in, in my, you know, uh, five years of real estate experience, right? I've had a lot of head bumps and, and twists and turns and also successes. But one of the things that I've found that would allow us to grow at the scale that we want to grow is that we want to make sure that we're working in positions or working in roles that um, add the best amount of value to the company as a whole, right? So I love that. Whether that's be just like taking things off our plate and outsourcing that to some someone else or having a VA post content, for example, you want to make sure that you are putting yourself in a position to add the most amount of value to your company and grow it in the fashion that you so choose. So that is uh, that is something that we 
uh, have learned uh, as we continue to grow into the real estate space. You know, I, I love that. Um, what you just said is you, you've got, you're going from solopreneur, self-employed to business owner, right? And, um, you know, if anybody's ever read the e-myth, they'll, they'll see, you know, Yannick just kind of described the whole problem of the, of that self-employed, highly paid person that is really good. They're super effective. They can make a, a ton of money, but they are the chief. Uh, they're the dishwasher. They're the cook. They're the waiter. They're the server. They're, they're everything. And, and you cannot run a restaurant, right? Trying to be all things to all people. And you, you have to f- discover what your superpower is and then play in your superpower. And by the way, that is the number one place that I see most entrepreneur business owners get stuck. Um, and so I'm so glad that you've, you like, you realize that that is, that, that, that has been the, the, the thing. Because once, once you unleash that and you realize I need to focus on what I focus on and, uh, and, and live in my superpower, literally your business just explodes at that point. Right. So I'm curious, that brings me to, to one final question and then we'll, we'll kind of start wrapping it up. What would you say, Yannick, your superpower is? Uh, I would say, well, I would say from an internal perspective, my superpower is tenacity. Uh, I think from dealing with some of the things that I've dealt with throughout just my life from overcoming, you know, the immigration and sleeping on the floor to, uh, to buy my mom her first house to uh, overcoming obstacles of, you know, you went to school for kinesiology. I don't think that you can get into the world of real estate and, and do things at a high level um, to uh, giving up my scholarship and walking on at the University of Maryland. I think tenacity is is woven in between uh, the, those timelines at some point. So I think internally, I want to say tenacity. And then externally, I think just building relationships and mm. uh, talking to people and networking and having those conversations because, mm. you know, like you already know, right? Your, your network is your net worth, right? You want mm. to know as many people as possible to add value to, but also you can able, you're able to, to grow your company uh, with as well. So I think, uh, you know, those two uh, attributes are definitely my superpower. And to your point, you know, we try to play to our strengths uh, in the best way possible. I love that. That is so cool. And it means that you also know yourself, which is so cool, right? So, Yannick, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you feel our grid community needs to know? Um, I, I think, you know, I think I'm I'm naturally like I like to tell myself like I'm I'm an underdog, right? I'm just gonna like I'm I'm scrappy. You know, when I was playing football, they called me Cujo, like the dog. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I just, I just came to the realization actually a couple of months ago that everything is going to be hard, right? Entrepreneurship, it's never, it's never linear. It's like the zigzag pattern, right? Some days you're up. It's like, I'm on the, I'm on the top of the world. Nothing can, nothing can beat me. And then some days it's like, all right, why did I start this again? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Um, and that's just part of the, the mogul marathon, which is what, why we created our podcast called the mogul marathon real estate podcast, because. That's what moguls go through. There's going to be ups and downs, you know, twists and turns. But as long as you continue to stick through and just keep pushing forward, there's no doubt in my mind that anyone that's listened to this podcast can reach any goal that they want to. They really just have to really just put their head down and just get to work. Right. Close those blinds within the, you know, 11 inches, which is from ear to ear. Put your head down, just work, 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 work. 
And I think, you know, over time, you're able to achieve anything that you want to achieve. So uh, that's a message that I want to leave with with the audience today. You know, it's one of the reasons why I love hiring athletes, because we learn that from an early age in sports, that it's like you're going to you're going to you're going to get knocked down along the way. Pick yourself up. You dust yourself off. You say, what did I learn? It's not going to happen again. They're not going to get me next time. I'm going to do better. I'm going to work out harder. I'm going to run a little faster. I'm going to eat a little better. I'm going to sleep a little bit better, right? It's like that competitive edge that happens that I, I, I really believe that sports in particular train us to be great business people and entrepreneurs. And so if you're an athlete out there, just, like just getting started uh, on this journey, no, you're already well-equipped. You come into this game with lots of skills, right? Nobody could take those skills away from you. And, uh, and Yannick, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you directly, what's the easiest way that they can reach you? Like, which, you know, Instagram, Facebook, right? Yeah. What is it? Yeah, yeah. So um, you can definitely look me up on, on LinkedIn, Yannick Cujo Virgil. Uh, we're act- pretty active on LinkedIn. We have Instagram as well. Our, our company is called Merlin Acquisitions. That's M-E-R-L-Y-N-N acquisitions.com. We have a ton of resources on our website. Whether you're an active investor trying to get into the world of, of multifamily real estate, we have a due diligence checklist that you can download. Or if you're a passive investor that's looking to diversify that capital from the stock market, we have a syndication guide for passive investors, how to evaluate sponsors and deals. Uh, so I'm, I'm always trying to, you know, whatever that we put out there and, and however, however that we present ourselves, uh, we're always trying to add value in any way possible. So I'm happy to connect with any of your listeners. Awesome, man. Well, thank you for sharing some time today with us in the Gritiverse on this uh, Great Investor podcast. I know that we're going to be crossing paths here soon. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much.